This morning's Bible reading, a reading from Paul's letter to Colossians chapter 2, beginning at the sixth verse. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you are buried with him in baptism, you are also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you are dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stands against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Hear the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words that I speak and the thoughts and reflections of our hearts and minds help us to grow in Christ in the Spirit's power. Amen. Well, today's reading focuses on the identity of the Christians in Colossae as people who are in Christ. And in, in this, they were pioneers, they were trailblazers. I thought a lot about that this week, and I think it's impossible for us to really appreciate how fragile and new and confusing their identity as Christ followers must have been, and in an environment that was increasingly hostile to Christians. So imagine being a part of their church community. It's only about 30 years since Jesus of Nazareth was crucified in Jerusalem, some 1,600 kilometers away. There are no written gospels, no New Testament. This letter is one of possibly only a couple of pastoral letters the Colossian Christians know of. There are no purpose-built places for Christian worship, there is little in the way of church tradition and traditions that are emerging, like baptism and Eucharist, are very much shaped by local custom and culture. There's no library or online resources to access centuries of accrued knowledge and wisdom about theology and biblical studies and best practice in church life and pastoral care. The testimonies of countless saints who have received Christ Jesus the Lord across the last 2,000 years have not yet been spoken or written. 
And so to these very young Christian community, Paul writes this letter. Two weeks ago, we reflected on the greeting, thanksgiving, and prayer in chapter one. I suggested that God's kaleidoscope of grace is revealed in the Colossians dance of faith, hope, and love, the same dance to which God invites us. Then last week, Stuart reflected on the Christ hymn in chapter one, where Christ is worshiped as the image of the invisible God in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus Christ is the anointed one who has been with God from the beginning, through whom all things were created and in whom is the fullness of God's person and character. This is the Christ in whom Paul is encouraging the Colossians to find their identity. Today's reading begins, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in him. What does it mean to receive Christ Jesus the Lord? What did it mean for the Colossians? What does it mean for us? Paul has already commended the Colossians for their firmness of faith in Christ. So how did they receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, in chapter 1, Paul has written that they have heard the word of the truth of the gospel. And it's likely that in this, Paul is referring to the oral tradition of the early Christians, perhaps hearing the stories of faith from other communities in the Lycus Valley, or from Ephesus, a bit further away, or further away still from the community in Jerusalem. The Colossians have also learned from their faithful minister, Epaphras, So Christianity began and evolved in a culture that was shaped by both oral tradition and literate culture. Oral tradition is not Chinese whispers. It's a far more reliable source of story than that, passed on not not so much as a simple telling, but more like the performance of the central and significant stories that shape people's culture and identity. 2,000 years on, are you someone who has received Christ Jesus, the Lord? What are the stories that have shaped your identity as a Christian? If I was, asked, if I was to ask you to share your experience of receiving Christ, I wonder what you would say. And if we were to all share our responses, I expect there would be as many different versions of receiving Christ as there are people. I've heard people describe receiving Christ while being somewhere in nature, or while being alone, or while being in a room or a stadium filled with hundreds or thousands of people, hearing a sermon, reading the Bible, listening to someone else's story of faith. How would I describe receiving Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, I remember as a child simply being aware that I was known and loved by God. 
and I was open to God guiding me. I'm really grateful for that early experience of faith. As a teenager, I read the Bible lots, and I was part of a great youth group, and I encountered Christ there. Over the decades, I would say that I've continued to receive Christ in Christian community, through home and family life, through worship and prayer, through connection with people of faith, like our community here, through awareness of God being present right throughout the created world. I've become more used to being surprised by encountering Jesus the Christ in the most unexpected people and places and ways. Given that there is nowhere where Christ is not. Perhaps in the coming week, you could ask someone to share with you their experience of receiving Christ. Listen closely to the language that they use and the details of that encounter and learn from them. The fullness of God dwells in Christ. When we receive Christ, we are receiving the fullness of God. And so no wonder Paul calls this a mystery. Receiving is a really important word in Christian life and practice. We receive our baptism. We receive communion. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive forgiveness. All of these are ways that we receive Christ Jesus the Lord. How generous and gracious is our God that the very fullness of God comes to live in us as our guest when we receive Christ, the one anointed to be the image bearer of God so that we, God's children, might be God's image bearers to the world. How amazing that our life, whatever it's looked like, whatever it looks like now, is one of the ways that God chooses for God's presence to be revealed to the world. Australian theologian Sarah Bachelard says, the whole journey of discipleship is about being drawn from and beyond ourselves. And Christian life is first and foremost about receiving gifts, the gift of our own creation, our life, our being. The gift of being loved unconditionally. The gift of realizing that we have a part to play. Our creation, our belovedness, our worth in contributing to God's presence in the world are all part of the gift that we receive in receiving Christ. Our lives become a visible expression of God to the people in our world. Wow. Having received Christ, Paul then encourages the Colossians to continue to walk in him. So what does it mean to walk in Christ? Stuart mentioned last week that the Lycus Valley where Colossae was situated was highly syncretistic. That means that the 
the people there were engaged in a whole smorgasbord of beliefs and practices of life and worship. It's likely the heritage of the Colossian Christians was both Jewish and also various forms of Greco-Roman tradition. So there were lots of ideas floating around about what was necessary to be a Christian, and we encountered some of those uh, in the reading. Stuart also mentioned that we live in a highly syncretistic environment. The majority of Australians no longer identifies particularly from one religion or tradition. Rather, people choose from a smorgasbord of possibilities and create their own combination of beliefs and practices, and have been doing so for decades, really. And Australian Christians included. So while the particulars of the challenges that Paul addresses in this letter are not entirely clear, some of those um, phrases that David read to us, Bible scholars aren't entirely sure exactly what Paul was getting at. But he does have some very helpful things to say to us about living in Christ in the midst of syncretism. The word that Paul often uses in his letters to refer to how we live our life is peripateo. It's the same word that we encountered in Colossians chapter 1, but there it's translated as lead lives worthy of the Lord. Here in chapter 2, it's translated continue to walk. So that's good news because even when we are frail or we have some injury or illness that prevents us from walking physically, we can all walk in Christ. How do we walk in Christ? Paul gives us some great steps to follow as we walk in Christ. First of all, he says, continue to be rooted and built up, describing how we can be firmly grounded in Christ, yet also growing in Christ. It's a bit of a mixed metaphor here. He's kind of giving us the image of a tree with its roots going down deep and able to stand, but also like a strong building with a strong foundation that can remain firm. A firm foundation comes from things like digging deep into the scriptures, prayer, worship, serving others through loving our neighbour. And then Paul says, being established in the faith as you were taught, this is strengthening the idea of being anchored in Christ. Then Paul says, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding is about being filled up, being filled up in thanksgiving with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving for what? Well, for all that the Colossians have received in Christ. There comes a warning about getting caught up in unhelpful teaching or practices. And as I said, several phrases aren't clearly understood. But it does seem that the Colossians are warned against persuasive arguments and human traditions that diminish their focus on what God has achieved in Christ. The letter's not 
putting down philosophy or the seeking after wisdom per se. It's simply making the claim that all wisdom and knowledge is under Christ. And to remind us, Paul returns to the Christ hymn idea and says, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. But then he goes on and he says, but watch out. There's no need for circumcision. That belongs to the old way before Christ came and before Christ became known. (coughs) Excuse me. In circumcision, Jewish males were fully accepted and initiated. But circumcision, Paul suggests, has been replaced by baptism, which is available for everyone. In baptism, we are buried with Christ. We are raised with Christ. We are made alive with Christ, together with Christ. We are forgiven through Christ. Christ has accomplished everything needed for us to live in him. So when we pick and choose from the smorgasbord, we don't need to supplement Christ. Christ is the full banquet. There's freedom and spaciousness when we walk in Christ. We're freed from the smallness and narrowness of our own way of seeing and graced with the freedom to see others as Christ sees them, beloved. And there's no debt that we owe God that can continue to separate us from God's love. Anything that we owe has been taken care of on the cross. And so I wonder, are there practices or beliefs or perceptions perhaps that you've held on to from your early days as a Christian that are no longer serving you well. I came across this thought recently and I think it's really helpful. I found it very helpful for myself. The instant that we begin to believe that our personal and hard-won certainties are the truth for anyone other than ourselves, we've fallen prey to the temptation of self-righteousness. It converts our sense of being in Christ to being more in Christ than others. When we diminish the experience and wisdom of others and elevate ourselves at the expense of others, division ensues. When our inner selves make our differences into a right to diminish others, we are not on a holy path. God holds us all equally beloved. We're not to seek greater control. Rather, we are to grow in Christ. That is, to become much better at expressing God's kaleidoscope of grace, walking in Christ, being rooted and built up in Christ, established, anchored in the faith of Christ, and abounding, filled up to overflowing in thanksgiving for all that we have received in Christ by grace. Amen.